Well, good morning. So this is where you guys hide out at this time of the day. It's really funny how I was in the military for like 22 years. And uh, I never could convince them that Reveille came way too early. The phrase was, oh, dark 30. And I guess they couldn't convince the enemy of that either. So that's the reason we did it. But. I made it. God was faithful. So I made it through. Even even though I'm not a morning person, I made it through all that anyway. As we come to the word of God, let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your word, for the comfort and the help that it gives us, for the marvel of your condescending grace that you show yourself, for the wonder of teaching us this truth, these truths, we who are such sinners with such sin darkened hearts and minds. So aware of that, we ask you to help us, even as we read your word. Show us what you would have us learn in Jesus name. Amen. Psalm five. Psalm five. And if you'd keep your Bible open to Psalm five, I'll refer to it um, quite a bit. Now, now, this is not a Palm Sunday sermon, even though it's Palm Sunday. And, and this is not, although the, the events of Palm Sunday played a very important role in, in what the sermon's about. And, and this really isn't a sermon about all that, that we as a congregation have experienced this past week, although um, it's very much directly related to that as well. But what this sermon is, is a sermon about prayer. You see, as we look at the Psalms, we remember that David knew how to pray. Uh, it's, it's an odd thing that we that we I don't know. I didn't think about it very much. I mean, just that whole notion that here's a man whom God loved, who loved God. And he really knew how to pray. I mean, most of the 150 Psalms uh, were written by him, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course. But they're still from his heart and mind, as well as from God mysteriously. And so that he knew how to pray. So as we listen to him, as we pay attention to what he prayed, there's a great deal for us to learn a great deal that God would have us know and therefore apply to our lives and, and put into our lives. So let's let's listen to him as we look at Psalm five here. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning, give attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice in the morning. I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throats is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out. 
for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with the shield. David was a man after God's own heart, is what the scripture teaches us. And surely these prayers show us that in many, many ways, because he he shows us himself. He shows us his heart and his heart for the living God. So let's look at this prayer then and see what David knows in his heart that is for us. First thing that we notice here, number one, for those taking notes, Number one, David knows God. David knows God. Now, the, the, uh, the question that the people who take polls ask is, do you believe in God? And what, something, somebody help me with the numbers, but somewhere around 85 or 90 percent of all Americans believe in God. But that's not what we're talking about here. Now, David certainly does believe in God, but he knows God. And he knows God in a personal way. For David, God is not the man upstairs. For David, he's he's not uh, this God to whom all paths lead or something like that. He's not the great cosmic um or the, the cosmic thingy that's there somehow which people know there is something outside of ourselves. But that's not what David's about. That's not what's going on here in this prayer in Psalm 5. Um, What's going on is verse 2. Look at verse 2. And we're going to concentrate on the first three verses primarily. He says, give attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God, for to you I pray. He knows about him, that's for sure. As we read the rest of the Psalms, we recognize that. We see that God knows, that that David rather knows God in all his holiness, goodness, justice, and truth. And he knows this God, about this God who delivered his people Israel from, from slavery in Egypt and has done this marvelous work of calling his people to himself. He knows all that. And that's very, very important in his knowledge of God. He knows he's the creator of all things. The heavens declare your handiwork, David says in Psalm 19. He goes on and talks about the glory and the wonder of the creation. So he knows that God has done all that. But he knows God more intimately. He knows him as the living God, the Lord God of heaven and earth, who is alive and knows David. Think of Psalm 23 for a second that that we've all heard over and over again all our lives. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shan't shan't lack anything. that, That cradling, that caring, that knowledge of that God is what David brings to this prayer. He's seen him as a defender of my rock, the rock of my salvation. And all of these things that we could just multiply, it shows us how very much David knew God as he comes to pray to him. Over the years, he's come to know him. 
and his faithfulness and goodness and justice and rightness and loving care. He knows all those things in his head and in his experience. But he knows something else about God, too, that's really important as we consider what prayer is. And that is that he cries out. Notice the first couple of verses. He cries out. He groans before God because he knows that God has given him life. Look at Psalm 139. Flip over there. Keep your finger in Psalm 5. But Psalm 139, 13. David says to, to God, For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. The reason David takes his next breath is because God put him together. And therefore, he knows all that he owes in a profound way to this living God who has touched his heart and touched his mind and continues to work mightily in his life. Gave him this relationship which we see first in the Trinity, the eternal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we see between God and His people as God and His grace has condescended to say, I made you for Myself. Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to Me and know Me in this way, powerfully and wonderfully. Verse 8 of Psalm 5, which causes David to say, okay, now that I know you and I know you in this way, verse 8, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Make your way straight before me because of my enemies. So, you know, that's that response of that heart that knows God in, in this profound way. As Paul put it, St. Paul reflecting David and the rest of the scripture in Psalms in Acts 17, even though he's quoting a pagan at this point, in Acts 17 he says, to the Athenian intellectuals, okay, he says, in Him we live and move and have our, our being. In Him we live and move and have our being. And that's what David knows as he comes to pray. And so in that sense, he's got to pray. He has to pray. He has no choice in the matter. More on that in a few minutes here. But, but just catch that notion that because of who God is, He can't do anything but cry out to Him. He must and so the question this morning uh, is, do you know God? Do you know him in this way? For each of us, we need, as we come to prayer, we must ask ourselves, is my knowledge of God? Do I have this personal knowledge? Has that knowledge of him and all his ways in my life been growing and been prospering? If I'm nurturing that in my prayers? Even as David does here. You know, David knows all this stuff, but he still he, he carries it before God. That God might use those thoughts in the wonder of it in his own life. We were made by him. We were made for him. Therefore, we can do nothing but adore him. And that's a wonderful thing. So that's the first point. That was number one. Okay. David knows God as he comes to him in prayer. He knows him personally, and he knows that he was created for him and lives in him. 
Which leads to the second point that David would show us here. He knows the mercy of God. David knows God's mercy. Now, one thing that's obvious in his groaning that he talks about in verse 1 is that he really needs God. He really he cries out to him because he sees enemies around him. He sees the distress and the struggle and the trials that he's going through. And he needs a refuge. He needs protection. Look at verse 11. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. In verse 12, for you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favor as with a shield. So he comes to him needy. He comes to him groaning. And he he comes to him knowing that he's the eternal God of the universe, that he's utterly dependent upon him. In him we live and move and have our being. And he comes to him, therefore, acknowledging himself. And he sees what's wrong with that relationship and all its death because depth, because he sees his own sinful heart, his own rebellion against the one who gives him life. Now, you go into Psalm 51, that that psalm that follows the sin and confession before God's people and before God himself. Where, where David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered and is just overwhelmed by his guilt as well he should have been. And he cries out to God in Psalm 51. And he confesses to God at that point, not just that he's a sinner and that's the specific cases, but that he's a sinner from the moment of conception. In, in, in sin did my mother conceive me, he says. In other words, when I was knit together in my mother's womb, as we saw in Psalm 139, I was a sinner. I, I was in that sense bearing the guilt of Adam's sin. Unfit, therefore, to come into the presence of God under any circumstances, let alone when he's in desperate need, as he is now in Psalm 5. And then he says later on in Psalm 51 or earlier, rather, in Psalm 51, he says, against you, you only have I sinned. So he knows this. And so as he comes to God in Psalm 5, he's not forgotten it. But he brings that with him. And he says, I only am here through your steadfast love. Look at verse 7. But I, through the abundance of. Whoa, that's a wonderful word. I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. And of course, by his house, he means the temple of the living God that God has made for his people. He says, because your love is overpoured and, 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 and it spread itself out. That's the only reason I'll enter your house. And you remember Esther. Um, as she comes, she, she's, she wins the beauty contest, remember the story, and, and gets chosen to be the, the queen of the emperor, the emperor's number one wife. And her, she's a Jew. And, and, and as chosen by God, as his people, her, her uncle says, surely it's at this time that God puts you here for these reasons. You see, and, and Haman, I mean, not Haman, but her uncle Mordecai says to her, he says, 
go into the presence of the king and, and tell him what's going on and tell him that, that your people need help and then they're gonna, their lives are at risk. And so she gulps and prays and gulps again. And, because even though it's her husband, he's the emperor. And he goes in to him. And her words are, if I have found favor with you, please help my people. He, she comes into the presence, into the throne room, to the presence of the emperor and says, if I have found favor with you, hear my plea for my people. Now, that's David's attitude, isn't it? In the abundance of your mercy. That's the only reason I'm here, Lord. Asking you for protection and help in these difficult times I'm going through. It must be through the abundance of your steadfast love, O Lord, that I come to you. That, that word translated steadfast love, you might have a different translation. In the, in the abundance of your mercies. It's a rich, rich word in, in, in Hebrew. In the abundance of your mercy, in the abundance of your steadfast love, in your covenant love, in your loving kindness are all ways this has been translated. Because the covenant love, the, the, the steadfast love of the Lord is for his people whom he's called to himself. And David says, hey, Lord, I remember that covenant promise that you made to our people. I remember that. And that's how I come to pray to you. I come secure in that relationship that you have made because you first love me. And so I dare to raise my cry to you. David never sort of waltzes into the throne room. <laughs> he never just he dances in there and expects God to hear him. No, he knows why he's there. He knows the only reason he's there is the mercy of God. God first loved him. Now, there's, there's a second reason he dares approach the living God, and that's in verse 3. Look at, he says, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. Now, the book of Hebrews wonderfully teaches us that these sacrifices that we see described in the ceremonial law that God gave his chosen people, they are foreshadowing of the finished work of the cross. And that's the love that David dwells in as he looks forward to the one who would come, the one who had already been predicted who would come to deliver his people ultimately and finally in the cross. And so where we are at this, when we're talking about sacrifices, in the ceremonial law of the Old Testament and how they're fulfilled in the New Testament, we're now to Palm Sunday. And we now see what the Lord's doing. Because as He came to Jerusalem on that, on that morning of the first day of the week, and as He rode that donkey down the street, and He looked down the street, and there were the buildings and the cobblestones and the people and the palms, and he looked down at the end of the street and he, he could see already the cross. Not literally, but he could see it anyway, because he knew that that's what God called him to do. And he could see the cross 
And he could see the tomb. And he could see the resurrection in which he has the power of death. He defeats death. The power over it. And he did it for his people. And that's what David sees and knows that somehow in David's day, God's going to do it. And we, this side of the cross, as we pray, we go, yes, that's why I can pray. Because this God has done this for his people. Bold I approach the eternal throne. Bold I approach it. David knows God. Secondly, David knows the mercy of God as he prays. And thirdly, we learn as we look at Psalm 5, David knows that God hears him. David knows that God hears him. You know, so often I really do end up feeling like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling or that I'm falling into the, to the trap the Lord warns against about aimless repetition or vain, empty words. And what's going on here, Lord? Well, that, that's another reason we come back to the Psalms to, to learn. That. It's one of the reasons we learn how to pray like this. But, you know, in, in my immediate needs, sometimes I feel I wonder, have all the prayers that we've been offering on behalf of our pastor's wife and our pastor and his family have been bouncing off the ceiling and we say no. Indeed, our prayers for our spiritually lost children or our prayers for the job that we need or the prayers that we ask of God for our other friends who are desperately sick or for our country. Especially in those situations where we don't receive what we really want to receive from God at that moment. Is it because he's not hurt us? Or is it perhaps because we've not had enough faith or we've done something wrong? And the answer to that is no. And David's prayer assures us that this isn't true, that indeed he has heard and he does act in his sovereign goodwill on behalf of his people. Look at verse three. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch the second half of verse three. I prepare a sacrifice. Well, what's going on with that? I mean, why is why is he a, doing it in the morning? B, why is he preparing it? What is there to prepare? How do you go about it? What is it that David's doing at that point? Well, what David's doing, as the people of Israel did in that day, was obeying God. That's what God said, do, okay, prepare those sacrifices in that way. Come before me in that manner. That's the love of God saying, this is how you go about it. He knew God's word. David knew that he had commanded these sacrifices be done in a certain way, that David followed the pattern of that God had laid out for him and that he promised to hear. And he promised to act for the good of his people. And so as David prays, as David prepares the sacrifices, he rests in that promise. And it's, of course, even better for us, this side of the cross, that assurance of God's loving kindness to us. Look at Hebrews four, because you see, of course, as the cross fulfilled the sacrifice of the ceremonial law. So Christ becomes 
Jesus, this man who walked, who's now risen at the Father's right hand, becomes the one who intercedes for us. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Since that's true, okay? All of our prayers are based on that. Since that's true. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Romans 8. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help us to pray. And that's an incredible promise. Even as we come to God, knowing God, seeing God in all of this, we can rest in this certainty that the Jesus intercedes, the Spirit intercedes, the Spirit even gives us the words because we don't get it so much of the time. David knows God. David knows God's mercy. And David knows that God hears him. And he rests in that. And so that brings us to number four. David knows he must pray. There's no way around it. He must pray. Verse 3 of Psalm 5. O Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you. Now, in addition to... To obeying God, you know, obeying God's word, that he required these morning sacrifices. Doesn't that say worlds about David's priorities, that he did it? When David's feet hit the floor, he knew that he must pray. When David started off his days, he knew that that's what it was about. You know, our, our Savior on this earth teaching his disciples in Mark chapter one, the, the very early in the gospel, in the Lord's earthly ministry, it says that Mark tells us in a great while before day, Jesus got up and went off and prayed again. The priority of our relationship with the living God, we must pray as we seek to follow him, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We talk to we have conversations with. We approach in his mercy and grace. So, yeah, and we know that. I mean, if you all had taken a multiple choice quiz this morning before the sermon started, you probably would have done pretty well. So why is it that we don't? Why in my life does prayer so often take on a very low priority? Uh, there's a lot of reasons, 
But never forget that we're up against the world. Never forget that our thinking patterns, our behavior patterns, really, we do conform to the world as believers in Christ. That's why the scripture urges us again and again not to do that. Um, and, And we do, as one commentator put it, we live in a world that has no place for prayer in its schedule of events. The world isn't going to schedule prayer. You know, I'd, I'd been an army chaplain, about half of my army chaplain career, and, and you know, you, you guys where you work, you, you all know performance reviews and all that stuff and performance goals. And, you know, we did that in the army. We went through all that, okay? And uh, about halfway through my army career, I was doing that kind of annual exercise, and I was putting things in there like visit subordinate units four times a year, uh, go to the advanced training at Fort Monmouth or... Regularly meet with a commanding officer. He loved that, you know. Those kinds of things I would put in as my goals. And then all of a sudden, they just, you know, wow. They're paying me to pray for these soldiers, and that's not one of my performance goals. What is going on here? Well, I did it after that. But isn't that something? (laughs) That wasn't one of my goals until that point. And um, I was a public school teacher, too. Now, because I was a public school teacher, I wasn't a paid prayer, right? We know that. But I, I should have been, I should have done it better. I didn't do it very well. But I should have had an addendum, a secret addendum I'd put in my pocket, you know. Pray for these students. Pray for these families. Pray for my co-workers. Pray for my kids. Pray for the elders of our church. Pray for all of these whom God has called me to pray for. That's my performance objectives. And, and that's what God's called us to do. Um, you know, so the, the world shapes our agenda and we've got to stand up to it and say, uh-uh. But there's another reason. There are other reasons, but I'm only going to a couple of them. But it's another reason I think that we don't pray the prayer is a low priority. That's because it's hard work. It's simply tough sometimes to pray. Um, we don't know what to say or we're, you know, we, we do, it's that, whatever. It's not natural to us as creatures walking around this earth who live in a world of sin and we ourselves are sinners. And that's the second point, I guess, of this is the idea that the reason we don't make prayer a higher priority is we're sinners. Um, the fall made farming harder. <laughs> okay. You know, the, the, the curse on the ground and the thorns and, and Adam was and Eve would farm, but it's harder and prayer is harder because of the fall. And let's complete the triad here. The world, our own flesh, and certainly the devil makes prayer harder. The devil and his minions hate prayer. And they will use our forgetfulness and our low priorities to work against the people of God and God's good work in this world. So we must pray. And we stand on the front line of spiritual warfare when it comes right down to it with prayer. And that helps as we pray together. And we pray together. And that helps and encourages us as we are against these kinds of things. So like David, we must pray because God uses prayer to help us love Him more. 
God uses prayer to nurture our relationship with him. God uses prayer to remind us again and again how utterly dependent we are on him. It's part of our life. If our life is to be all that he would he intends for us to have, that we may live for his glory and his honor in it all. So as we look at David's prayer here in Psalm five. We learn something of what he knows about prayer that we then take. And as we come to God, we say thank you and use. He knows God personally. He's not far off. He's the shepherd. And we, his people, know the one to whom we pray who is like that. He knows God's mercy, that he's not... You know, just waltzing into the presence of God. But he knows the mercy of God shown to him. So he goes in with confidence, thirdly, because he knows the mercy of God, his great high priest, and therefore that God hears him because that high priest is there. He's promised to hear that his son intercedes on our behalf and his Holy Spirit gives us words. And David, finally, we learn, knows that he must pray And that we must pray, too, to live for him. May our God help us to pray by the power of his spirit as we seek to honor him. Let's pray. Thank you, our God, for this you teach us. Thank you for loving us in this wonderful way. Help us, we ask, for your name's sake. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.